Welcome to episode 48 of the 643 Triple J podcast. Today, we'll introduce our new series, 1v1, where we will pit two franchises of similar time in Major League Baseball. This week, that will be the Tampa Bay Rays and the Arizona Diamondbacks, both of whom entered the league in 1998. So this is an idea that I've been having for quite a while. I saw something on Twitter at the start of this season where the Rays and Diamondbacks entered the league with the same record, um, which I think that's pretty wild for two teams that entered at the same exact time uh, to end up having the same record over the entire existence of their team. The, no, the 24 years now entered the 25th season for both of them. Um, so what we're going to do this is we're going to go through the overall stats or I, I call them accolades. Uh, we'll talk about the records, you know, championship pennants they won. And then we'll go through, uh, baseball references, top 12 players of their franchise's existence. And, uh, we'll, you know, we'll add players there as well. If we think they're missing people that were pretty, um, big for their franchises. Uh, and then we'll, we'll kind of then talk about who had the better legacy of the two. And, you know, who we think is going to have the brighter future for the rest of this decade. So uh, why don't we jump into this right now with the Tampa Bay Rays? Uh, since their inception, they have a combined record of uh, 1,959 wins versus 2,054 losses. Uh, they have won the AL pennant twice, once in 2008, losing in the World Series against the Philadelphia Phillies. And then they won it again in 2020 during the COVID-shortened season where they lost to the Los Angeles Dodgers. Um, so the top 12 notable players for them were Evan Longoria, uh, Carl Crawford, Ben Zobris, Kevin Kiermar, David Price, James Shields, Carlos Pena, Scott Kazmier, BJ Upton, Julio Lugo, Desmond Jennings, and Brandon Lowe. Um, what do you guys have to say about the Rays uh, uh, team so far and any players that were missing from this list? Joey, you can go first because I do have a couple of players who I think are notable admissions. I, I don't have too much. I mean, the, the Tampa Bay Rays have, in the most recent years, been known mostly as trendsetters, uh, primarily on the pitching aspect of baseball with the introduction of the opener and how they go about developing pitchers in their minor league system. But looking back to 1998, the Rays really weren't talked about all that much uh, towards the beginning of the franchise's history, uh, which is quite different for the Diamondbacks, as we'll get to in a little bit. Um, but within the last five, seven years or so, the Rays have really made a name for themselves. I mean, they've also gone through some rebranding in the time, uh, going, dropping the devil Rays name to just be the Rays. Um, Tampa Bay is also interesting. Uh, this applies to all Tampa Bay sports, including the Buccaneers and that they're named not for a state or a city, but a body of water. Um, and that has always kind of struck me as interesting that they don't represent a, a single area. It's just people kind of flock to them, which I guess also has led to some of the issues they have with their stadium right now and 
some ups and downs they've had with the fan base. But in terms of players, um, they've had two pennants, uh, some pretty notable guys. I think aside from the players, also having Joe Madden as a manager, um, that he was the manager when a lot of these guys were on the team. Um, and then to see him go on to win a World Series with the Cubs and to do so with Ben Zobrist on the team who he managed uh, in Tampa Bay. I, I think the, the Rays definitely have a very interesting history, um, most of which has been written in the last decade or so and are one of the most talked about teams today. I thought it was interesting when you brought Madden because you could also include Kevin Cash into that group. And yep. I think executives as well, Andrew Friedman, James Click, Heim Bloom. So Tampa Bay's presence is felt well throughout all of Major League Baseball. But I picked five players who I thought were pretty interesting weren't on this list. I guess one of them is way too soon to tell. That's Wander Franco. Dude was one of the top prospects in baseball. And not in a big way here in 2023. Uh, all four of them, three of them are pitchers like Matt Garza. Numbers aren't really there, but three years with Tampa Bay, I thought he was probably one of the better starters in baseball at that point in time. Say whatever you want, that he was a bust later on in his career. Obviously, we all know what happened with Pitt, but I think that one's another pretty interesting guy who's not on this list. In my opinion, the two biggest ones, Fernando Rodney, even though he only played two seasons in Tampa Bay, 2012, he was an all-star, finished fifth in Cy Young voting as a closer, 13th in MVP voting, 0.6 ERA, 74 in two-thirds innings, 76 strikeouts, 48 saves, topped that but a 338 ERA, ERA, 284 FIP, 66 in two-thirds innings. Dude was one of the best relievers in baseball over those two seasons, and... I one of I would say Tampa Bay probably one of the top ten pitchers of all time, but the biggest one for me was no Fred McGriff. And seasons in Tampa Bay with the Devil Rays, 291, 380, 484. That's an 864 ops, 99 homers, 359 RBIs. It's a dude who just got in the Hall of Fame. Tampa Bay, his time in Tampa Bay is probably his time outside of Atlanta in his career. Which is kind of notable as well, but those are those are five guys who I thought were pretty interesting, who have made pretty significant impacts in Tampa Bay's history. And on the other side of the country, we have the Arizona Diamondbacks, entered the league at the same time as the Tampa Rays. Uh, overall record is a combined 1,953 wins versus 2,059 losses. Uh, so again, very close in the records between these two teams. Um, championships and pennants, they have one World Series based off their one NL pennant win, and this is in 2001. Um, the top 12 for this franchise, according to Baseball Reference, we have Randy Johnson, Paul Goldschmidt, Brandon Webb, Luis Gonzalez, Kurt Schilling, Cattell Marte, AJ Pollock, Zach Greinke. Steve Finley, David Peralta, Dan Heron, and Chris Young. I also added uh, Justin Upton to this list because I don't think you can talk about the Diamondbacks without mentioning him with his time in Arizona, but um, I don't know where Baseball Reference would have actually put him on the all-time list if he was number 13 
or somewhere else in like the top 20, but I, I don't see him being outside the top 20. Yeah, we talk about their one World Series, and it's like not super impressive for a team that's been around almost 30 years, but at the, at that time, and I'm going to apologize in advance, Jack, but they beat the New York Yankees, who were going, trying to win their fourth consecutive World Series, so and their fifth in six years, so that was pretty notable and quite a big uh, World Series at that point in time. I think it's very interesting looking at specifically the first five years of the Diamondbacks franchise versus the first five years of what were the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. The Diamondbacks went from last place in the division, 33 games out, to first place in the division in year two to make it all the way to the division series. And then in year four, they won the World Series. The Tampa Bay Devil Rays finished last place for the first 10 years of their franchise nine times. The only year they weren't in last place was 2004, where they finished fourth. But for the first 10 years of the Tampa Bay Rays franchise, they came in last place in the division. Part of that might be because of the teams in that division, whereas the Diamondbacks jumped right in and had a winning record ever uh, almost every season in the first six or seven years of the franchise, except for the first where they came in last place. Very, very different stories to begin each of these two franchises. Got three players in Arizona's history who I also want to talk about. One of them is Patrick Corbin. Again, he hasn't had the best time in Washington, but for Arizona, he was one of the league's best pitchers. Another guy is Mark Reynolds. He only spent four seasons in the desert, but in 2009, 44 homers, 30 doubles, and 892 OPS, 20th in MVP voting. So he was one of the bigger power hitters back then. But the one dude I really want to talk about is Matt Williams. Now, he only spent six years in Arizona, had a 798 ops, uh, 99 homers, so nothing huge. But in 1999, he was an all-star, after 37 doubles, two triples, 35 homers, 142 ribbies, a 3344, 536 slash, that's an 880 ops. Yeah, I think if you, if you want to talk about like Justin Upton as well, I don't think you can really tell Arizona's story without Mel Williams too. Who is still a coach who's currently on their coaching staff as well? Now that we've introduced both these teams, um, the real question I have for this, you know, the, for these episodes is, uh, who has the better legacy of the two teams um, right now? And really, like um, for me, I don't think there's a definition of, you know, like a, you know, who has a better legacy. Um, I mean, for me, I think you have to add in of, you know, what they're able to accomplish. Um, I think records are very similar, so I think it's it's um, kind of a wash there. Um, you look at, you know, the noble players and, you know, the lasting effect they have on their teams. Uh, I think stadium, which, you know, you, you kind of are stuck with the stadium you kind of you, you have. Um, that is definitely a factor. And I think also I, I put, like, fan base loyalty um, in there as well. Um, but I'm also, I, you know, I want to hear what you guys would value in putting uh, in this discussion for who has who has the better legacy of the two. Something else that I'd want to add is 
kind of historic figures in terms of Major League Baseball. Um, both teams have had some pretty pretty notable names associated with the franchise in the last 25 years. Um, we already covered, Jack, you mentioned the, the top 12 uh, players of the franchise, and we've already talked about a couple of others. But in terms of management also, these teams have had some pretty significant managers. I mean, the Diamondbacks' first manager was Buck Showalter, who is still managing in Major League Baseball. No, that's that's a pretty big one, too. And you want to talk about 2001 with Bob Brenly. One of the guys on that team as well was Craig Council, who is currently probably one of the top three, top five managers in the game today. So Arizona has a long history of really decent managers. You can even look at Troy Lovello currently. And A.J. Hinch was there for half a season now, uh, head of the Detroit Tigers. Before he was actually, like, modern-day A.J. Hinch. Yep. Yeah, I, I mean, a little, a little more lighthearted thing too is I think I think uh, viral moments in the franchises are also pretty important. Um, so I kind of put the two that I see on a consistent basis for both these teams. Uh, obviously for the Diamondbacks, um, you know, the bird explosion with uh, Randy Johnson during spring training, and then um, for the Rays, it's uh, Evan Longoria barehanding an errant foul ball during batting practice to save a reporter that he was doing an interview with. That is a pretty cool highlight. Something else, and this is where I think it really breaks apart for me, is between the Rays and the D-backs is, I think the Rays have the bigger legacy, and I understand they haven't won a World Series. I understand that the D-backs have probably had a little bit of a better history than them, but the Rays have truly revolutionized, and some might even say broken baseball. The stack cast era, we know all these trades they've made, and it's kind of turned into, what do the Rays know? give up a guy like Matthew Libertor to bring in Randy Rosarina. That, at that point in time, Libertor was one of the top 20, 50 prospects in the game, and Rosarina was kind of a fringe 40 guy. And I think we can all say the Rays made up fairly well in that trade. And yeah, they've lost some. They traded Herman Marquez to the Rockies, Jake Cronworth to the Padres. And it's like, they win some and they lose some, but then you look at like Harold Ramirez, Yandy Diaz, um, Manuel Margot is one of the better defenders in the game. So that's something I want to highlight. They've also absolutely revolutionized pitching. That's from the opener, uh, utilizing Rule 5 picks. Uh, Kevin Cash, what he's done is absolutely unbelievable. And they've introduced statistics like A-rate, uh, vert, spin rate. Also revolutionized catching with Jose Molina. They were probably one of the first teams who really didn't care about uh, catchers' offensive statistics. And they introduced pitch framing and all these other things. Um, I think the Rays just... Talk about one of the most poverty franchises in the league, but they make up pretty well for a $60 million payroll, and they absolutely dominate teams like the Yankees, Red Sox, the Dodgers, like absolute juggernauts in terms of financial might. And many teams, when you look at Major League Baseball, you wouldn't think the Rays would be the top, but for the last decade or so, um, certainly been five steps ahead of everybody else. The Astros are probably the closest. But it's truly remarkable what they've been able to do without much financial support as some of these other teams get. I agree. The Rays have definitely been at the forefront of how we know Major League Baseball to be today. You listed a 
bunch of different metrics that they've developed, uh, introducing the opener and just other developmental techniques that other teams didn't really do. Um, you think about the impact like a team like the Oakland Athletics did with Moneyball. The Tampa Bay Rays did a similar thing in terms of individual player development and how they perceive the game and how the players approach the game. And that's a that's an impact that's going to continue to have uh, effects down the line beyond this year. And that's been something that's been going on for the past decade plus. Uh, hopping in on the raised love here is I, I think the one thing that I respect about this team as well is, and I think it's also a negative with the, the, the for the fans is that you, you get these players that the fans just adore because they're just great. But the Rays just know when they're about to exit their prime and they ship them off at the perfect time. Carl Crawford, David Price, you know, exiting out, going to, uh, like, you know, the, what was it, the Red Sox. And really their careers weren't the same. Um, look, you know, looking at the comparisons where where they're at, James Shields even uh, was was a was a player that uh, got got a, got his thing going in Tampa, but you know, outside of Tampa, uh, really didn't look like anyone better than like a you know fourth slot starting pitcher. Uh, Scott Casimir, don't even have to get started on on that one, is electric in his, in his start in Tampa, but amounted to nothing afterwards. B.J. Upton was is the worst of the two Upton brothers, you know. It is what it is, um, but the Rays got what they needed from him. Chris Archer, uh, they knew that his, you know, with the velocity going down, that uh, his stuff wasn't going to be as special, and they go and flip it for Austin Meadows, Tyler Glasnow, and Shane Baz. Uh, you know, fleece of the decade, I would, I would even say. And I think this is different from the D-backs, because I, I think if you look at the top three players, Randy Johnson, Goldschmidt, and Brandon Webb, I think... The three of them, in terms of star power, uh, I give the, to the D-backs for the top three. But, you know, for them, I think they had good team comp, and I think everything was, like, perfect for that 2001 time. But for the, you know, for most of their franchise is that their teams were just there, but not good enough. Um, they had a few good players that brought in fans, but... Yeah, uh, you know, it it wasn't it wasn't like it was a a huge spectacle since or a huge spectacle there since really Randy Johnson was was uh, was with the team. I think Justin Upton's the closest they've gotten because even when Goldschmidt was on the team, I don't think you know he was bringing in so many fans as much as Justin Upton was. Um, but man, the the, the Rays, you know, constantly pulled the hearts of their fans by shipping off these favorite players, but they replace them at such an alarming rate that I I just have to tip the hat. Yeah, and a couple more things I want to highlight in the Rays, like Jackie Brock, David Price, and James Shields. This is kind of a thing that, um, kind of like how the Baltimore Ravens operate, is I'd rather get somebody, I get, I'd rather get rid of somebody one year too early than one year too late, and exactly what the Rays do again. For David Price, traded him to Detroit, and they got Willie Adamas and Drew Smiley. So that was pretty solid, even though Price went on to have a pretty decent career with Detroit and Toronto before Red Sox, but... James Shields and Wade Davis, they were shipped off to Kansas City for Jacob Arizzi and Will Myers. And Will Myers was a top three prospect at the time. They ended up trading him later on for Steven Souza. Uh, but yeah, the Rays, again, they win some, they lose some. And they're kind of like the 
model franchise when it comes to trading away players. But switching things to the Diamondbacks, I'm going to stick more recent with Mike Hazen because he's a part of another guy who's absolutely revolutionized baseball. And he himself would actually say he broke baseball, and that's Theo Epstein. Hazen is a direct descendant of that 2011 um, Red Sox front office, the one that won the World Series in 20, 2007 uh, with Jed Hoyer and Jason McLeod and all those guys. But Mike Hazen's done really, really well because he inherited a franchise that, if you guys remember, ended up trading away Dansby Swanson for Shelby Miller. And they got absolutely nothing out of Shelby Miller. And he, over the last couple of years, he's drafted guys like Corbin Carroll and Alec Thomas to top prospects like Drew Jones and Jordan Lawler. A pretty big trade of Jazz Chisholm to Zach Gallen. I uh, made a waiver claim in Christian Walker. Like, Kazen's done a pretty good job for himself, too. And when Emil saw day, they've really turned things around in Arizona. So, I guess, Jack, that, that kind of gets us into this next discussion, too, of who does the future look brighter for? Yeah, so I think, yeah, the last question is really, like, you know, who's going to have the better, you know, 2020s in the decade right now? You ask me, the Rays are off to a heavy lead. Uh, but, you know, right now the D-backs, you know, sitting atop the NL West here. Um, they got a, a young core that's looking really fun. Um, but, you know, the question for both of them is, you know, inevitably when the Rays start to shop off some of these players that are getting to that age where, you know, it's it's the last you know years of of their viability as a trade ship. Um, are they going to be able to replicate this you know this cycle of um, replenish the team to the same you know degree they have for like the last five six years? Or and then with the D backs, is this core going to be good enough to be you know the juggernauts of the NL West? You know, taking over the spot that the Dodgers kind of have held since like you know twenty twenty fifteen. I think like. Easy answer is to say the Rays because they're a current success, but I would lean more towards the Diamondbacks. Like you said, the uncertainty with Tampa Bay. And you look like Corbin Carroll's locked up to an eight-year extension. Like I know Wander Franco has an 11-year deal. But I think the D-backs, obviously, they spend more money than them. This is the team that handed Zach Reinke over $200 million over six years. And they really weren't even in the thick of it in the postseason race. So I would lean more towards the Diamondbacks just... And you look at the prospects, Drew Jones and Jordan Lawler mixed with Corbin Carroll. Hopefully Christian Robinson turns things around. Uh, they have some pretty young pitching in Dre Jamison. Uh, I I would I definitely lean more D backs at this point. I'm also going to lean more towards the D backs. Um, looking back on the last five seasons, like the most recent history, the Rays have definitely put themselves up there as to why they might be one of the most valuable franchises or who will have the best decade moving forward. Um, Both teams are currently in a run with the manager that has the longest tenure with their team with the Rays, it's Kevin Cash. And then with the Diamondbacks is Tori Lavolo. So you would expect that with each of them having, I think seven and nine and seven years respectively with each of the teams, that there's going to be a managerial change at some point. Um, The Rays tend to do very well with who they pick as their next manager, whereas the Diamondbacks have been a little up and down with managers in the last 25 years. But I think 
the Rays have still struggled to catch lightning in a bottle. They obviously made it to the World Series in the shortened 2020 season, and they've made the playoffs each of the last four years. Um, the Diamondbacks haven't made the playoffs since 2017. But the Diamondbacks, I think, are the team that are more poised moving forward than the Rays are. Just be- the, the Rays, to me, feel like that person in a fantasy baseball league that tinkers with their team too much. And I'm calling myself out because I am that person in the fantasy baseball league. But that's how the Rays feel to me as a major league franchise, that they do really well, like you've said, with shipping some guys off right before they kind of go downhill. And they do really well with guys at the starts of their career. But then what happens in the middle there is still the part that they're figuring out. Whereas the Diamondbacks have had guys in their prime. They've had guys early on in their career. They've had guys at late stages in their career. They just haven't put all three pieces together yet. And I think if the Diamondbacks can do that with the current young core that they have, they have brought in some veterans in the last few years. Most of them didn't really last too long, but it's those types of guys that you want to have an impact, like the passion of a Madison Bumgarner who was released earlier this season. Or you have guys that have a little more experience, like Paul Goldschmidt, who was with the Diamondbacks for a while before moving to the St. Louis Cardinals. Those types of guys are going to help this team develop, and that's why I think the Diamondbacks are more poised for the rest of the decade than the Tampa Bay Rays might be. It's still uncertain for the Diamondbacks. I mean, you have Corbin Carroll, you hit on that, but, you know, their most recent draft pick, like Drew Jones, you're not going to know what you're going to get with him until, you know, at least another couple years. Um, It's just a matter of they have a core that works. You have a still. You have a lot of prospects that are working their way up through the through the system, uh, but you also have manage, you know an ownership group that that does open the checkbook when when they need to, uh, and I think that's all. All those things are going to be advantages that they have over the over the Rays. Uh, it's just a matter again, as we, as you said, Joey, putting it all together. Um, I like I you know I think it's I think the D backs for me I think are the most fun team to watch this season so far. Um, just because of where they kind of are and how really people were dismissing them may, being like a borderline wildcard team, but right now they're, they're pacing their division. Uh, so, I mean, it, it's a good sign of things to come for the rest of the decade. Um, it, it's just, I think people have been waiting for the Rays, for them, for their luck to kind of dry out after just winning most of the moves that they make. And for, for a lot of people, it's just, you know, as Yankees fans, we were saying, it's like, you know, why why do they keep getting away with this? Like, how do they keep doing this? And I, I, I don't know. I, I think when you have, like, a such a smart office that are making these moves, um, again, with the with a poverty franchise, is that inevitably you're going to get people that are, that are going to be hired out of there because there's going to be better contracts um, at other places that will open the book. Uh, so I think that's a, another looming, like, you know, bomb that's, you know, Looming over over the heads of that franchise, uh, just because you kind of don't know when you know a another franchise is going to poach some of these important people in their in their office. So I mean, both are uncertain, but my gut has me saying that the the D backs will win may, at least one World Series, uh, if not two, uh, towards the end of the twenty twenties. Going back to prospects with the D backs quickly, you mentioned Lawler, who's currently 
uh, at double A. But on the major league roster right now, the D-backs have three of their first round draft picks in the last decade. Pavin Smith was a first rounder in 2017, Corbin Carroll first round 2019, and then Jake McCarthy was a first rounder in 2018. So that's three first round picks in a row that are all having an active impact on the major league roster. And then you look down at AAA Reno and they have three pitchers drafted in the first round of 19 and 20 that are in AAA. That's Blake Walston, Slade Ciccone, and Bryce Jarvis, who all three were first round draft picks. So it seems like the Diamondbacks are also doing something right in their early draft picks. The fact that all of these guys are either at the major league level or are almost there in a four to five year window, which is kind of the ideal window that you would want for guys drafted in their early Not 20s. Not just the amateur draft, like domestically too. Davis and De Los Santos is one of the most exciting prospects. He's already at double A as a 19 year old. Have uh, Yumin Lin out of Chinese Taipei. He's another really exciting player. He's just 19 in high A. Uh, Justin Martinez, I'm pretty high on. I think he's going to be one of the better relievers in Major League Baseball at some point once he makes his debut. Manuel Pena, another one of these insane national signings. So the, the Diamondbacks are really covering all their bases when it comes to a gr- home growing their own players, uh, being able to capitalize on draft picks and li- limited resources they actually do have. And you know, going back to like underrated, not to toot my own horn, but... The three of us, I was the only one to have Arizona in the postseason this year. And like we said, I understand. Uh, no, I was too. You did? Yeah, I did. Okay, because I was looking at the spreadsheet here, and I didn't see your name. But, uh, I mean, if you want to talk about underrated, Arizona's definitely up there. And that's a wrap on episode 48 of the 643 Triple J podcast. Join us next week where we'll look at the athletics' pending move to Las Vegas, Nevada. For coverage beyond the pod, give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram at 643JJ or check out our website at 643JJ.wordpress.com.